0: Listening to Hawks Insiders, home of quality analysis, special features, match recaps, interviews, and so much more. Follow us on Substack for extended coverage of all things brown and gold. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another Wednesday night uh, Hawks Insiders safe space. I'll be your host this evening, Andrew Weiss. For those who don't know me, we are down a few soldiers this evening. Uh, so, and, and please forgive me, I've been a bit crook throughout the day. So certainly going to need uh, need your patience as we plough through a whole host of topics for this evening. Um, as always, and we'll have some pretty good opportunities for everyone to contribute. Especially tonight, we want to make this your forum, your chance to be heard, your chance to get it off the chest about how you're feeling, how the Hawks are travelling, where we're at, what needs to change. We'll give you those opportunities throughout the evening. Please feel free to hit the request to speak button at any time. Uh, We'd love to hear what everyone's thinking in the meantime, would like to say a good evening and welcome to the other insiders joining the panel this evening. First up, Darren Levine, Brad Klebanski, as always, good evening to you.
1: Good evening, all. Great to be here again. I agree with you guys. It's going to be a long year. These Wednesday night sessions for the majority of the season are actually going to be really nice for all of us. Because what we saw on Sunday, unfortunately, is going to be the first of many to occur this season. Very disappointing and I'm sure we'll touch on it very shortly. We later. absolutely
0: will. And I think there's a clear distinction from round one and the disappointing, the disappointment where we went into it actually expecting to win to round two. Which was more of a, um, probably a wake-up call to where we're at and, and obviously we'll get into that specifically, Brad, when we get to your selection dissection and look at who should be out of the team, who should be coming in for the game coming up against the Ruse. So we are going to introduce a new segment into this evening, which we'll get to later. So certainly urge you all to have a little think about this. The new segment we're going to try is we want to know the best and worst media takes on Hawthorne this week. So put your thinking caps on. There's been plenty. We've been back page, front page of the news every single day this week. We'll come back later on and discuss it and see what everyone's got to contribute. Just to give you the heads up for those that are going away to do a bit of research, um, the two that we'll kick off with will be Uh, Lee Montagna's take in recent days and James Bartell's take earlier in the week. So put your thinking caps on um, because we're going to want to hear from you with the best and worst media takes on the Hawks this week. And we'll see if that becomes a regular part of the space. So I think um, we're going to move straight into our recap on round two versus the Swans. Let's get it out of the way and done with nice and early. So we can, well, we can all have a little bit of event and then move on to, uh, I think, one of the games that everyone's got marked down in their calendar as if there's only one game to win this year, it it would be against North Melbourne the first time we play them. Uh, But on Sunday... Uh, We went down 4-13-37 to the Swans, 17-16-118. There were a few glimmers of positivity and a whole lot of uh, resetting expectations, as we mentioned before, after the game. Uh, The scoreboard was flattering, given that we kicked a couple of consolation goals, and all in all, it was a pretty bleak day. So to start with... Daz, we've got you pinned down with telling everyone the good. What were the good things to come out of the game against the Swans? Just hang on one sec. Just hang on one sec. Um Brad, can you hear Daz? There's quite a few comments coming through on the chat. So, yeah, I
1: can hear that. Da- I can hear Daz fine.
0: Yeah, I've got him as well. Um Maybe if there's anyone that wants to jump on just to let us know if they can or can't hear, or if they can maybe, that would be great. Otherwise, uh, whack it in the comments. Sorry to cut you off there, Daz. Um, I'm happy to jump in, uh, see. No worries. Well, I've added you as a co-host, Daz, so hopefully that might um, that might make a difference. Again, thanks to those that have commented. If you can, let us know if you can hear him. Um, Brad, hopefully uh, everyone can hear your dulcet tones. Uh, let's.
1: I don't think they are going
0: to want to hear what I've got to say. Well, this it's... is your chance to come off the long run and tell us all exactly what you think.
1: Look... I thought we'd lose by 10 uh, goals. We lost by, I think it was 81 points in the end. So to be honest, the result for me wasn't surprising. What was surprising was five minutes into the game, you knew what was going to happen. And I know, I think I messaged in our group, literally probably not even 10 minutes into the first quarter, I said, this is going to be 60 plus. After what we witnessed against the Bombers, particularly in the second half, which was nothing short of a disgrace, sorry to all of those that, you know, thought round one, you know, we've got to give these guys a chance. That performance against Essendon was putrid. And to come out like they did, this game against Sydney, perfect day at the SCG, ground where traditionally Hawthorne teams have actually played really well. We'd won six out of our last eight. And you could just tell straight away they were really flat. I don't understand why, because Sam backed the same team in. Wingard was the only one that went out because he was injured with a calf. The back line, again, was terrible, uh, dysfunctional. The back line last year was probably our best part of uh, the ground. Frost and James Blank aren't working well together. James Sicily roams around collecting cheap possessions. If you watch the game back, I might sound harsh, but those that have... You know, the ability and that can watch the game back. The amount of times Sis dropped his dropped his head, his body language was poor. Watch it back. You'll see what I'm talking about. CJ has had a terrible start to the year. It might sound harsh, but he is not a good uh, defender. His one to two, good things he does a game, covers the cracks. He's been terrible as a defender. Lockie Bramble, exactly the same. He was better in the second half when the game was completely cooked. But the back line is just not working. The forward line's even worse. Mitchell Lewis's injury, which we all knew was going to be a disaster, has actually been worse than we probably all thought it would be. Jekka going down with the hamstring also hurt because we lose the depth. Cozzy had another absolute shocker. Ned Reeves is disappointed the first two weeks of the year, got subbed off on the weekends. I've written about this numerous times. The first two weeks of the year, he's taken two marks. The guy's 210 centimetres and he's taken two marks in the first two weeks of the season. Lloyd Meek was better. He had eight uh, tackles and kicked a goal, but that combination's again. I know we've got to give him time, but Reeves is on the brink of being dropped. Max Lynch was pretty good for Box Hill as a forward. I think he'll hopefully get a chance this week. Uh, small forward again. Sam Butler came on at the back half of the game, didn't really do much. Uh, Luke Bruce tried hard. Dylan Moore, you know, tried hard. But our back line and forward line's just really struggling. As Daz mentioned before, the midfield actually won centre clearance. The midfield's actually been okay the first two weeks, which was our Achilles heel the last few years. So those silly media comments about us, why didn't we keep Tom Mitchell and Jager at O'Meara? Just silly comments. If we had O'Meara and Tom Mitchell the first two weeks, Instead of losing by 60 round one, we lose by 40. And instead of losing by 80 round two, we lose by 60. And we don't see the likes of Cam McKenzie, uh, Connor McDonald and those type of players. So for sure. that's my well, we'll get into I hope changes are made as well. We'll, we'll
0: get into what changes um, we'll look at for this week when we get into selection dissection. And, and that last point... Maybe will someone will bring up Caro asking Sam Mitchell about why, you know, or Lloydy asking why he couldn't just keep one of the midfielders. And this is the same panel last year that said uh, they were all dead weight and having a go at our midfield and saying we needed to and should have even got rid of them the year before. That's another story that we'll get to shortly. Daz, um, let's see if we've got you back and maybe if... Um, Once you start speaking, we can get a few of the uh, emojis popping up from listeners to show that whether they can hear you or not. Do you want to just quickly run back through the good, your positives from the game? Yeah. Um, Get to relive the nightmare
2: again and again and again. Just never ending for me. Um, Can anyone hear that?
0: Oh, my God.
1: You're coming through fine for me. And for me.
0: So um, someone give us a thumbs up if you can hear but. We'll take it that... Uh, that-, oh, that-, I'm, that- I'm not saying... Oh, we've, oh, got we've smog got... uh, and a nice little just... emoji from Mick Cowan as well. Thanks. Thanks, lads. As you were, Daz. Right. Well,
2: I'm going to try and say something positive and that hopefully with be the last day to talk about this game. Um, as Brad said, the clearances were, were a big plus and the midfield seems to be functioning quite well. Um, I mean, we're up against last year's grand finalists and I think that's a bit of interest, you know, it's a bit of perspective on that game. As disappointing as the Essendon loss was, you know, we, we were up against a really, really good side in Sydney. And I think we were, as, as Sam said, a victim of our own demise in a lot of ways, just turning the footy over in really bad places. But it was, it was encouraging to see Will Day continue to, to have some good form this year it's a bit of a bittersweet proposition with will day at the moment just given the contract talks are on hold and there's a lot of rumors around him going to Adelaide and apparently he's bought a, a big mansion there up in um, up in Adelaide and you know it, it, it''s it's concerning that he hasn't put pen to paper yet so I temper everything nice that I say to will about will day now with um, with just that fear of, of, of the unknown in terms of his contract. Um, Dylan Moore had a, had a really poor game, I thought, in round one, and he came, came out firing and kicked a great goal. Um, so, yeah, just, you know, just minutes into the young kids again. I think that's the main thing. And we've all got to consider these games as hard as they are to watch as a, a sort of journey that, that we're on and um, had, a, had the, the good fortune of speaking to Ed Sill a couple of week back, uh, weeks back about um, Box Hill and, and how he thought the Hawks were going. And he put it put it really well and said that we we're, you know, 20-odd games into a 68-game journey. So if you think of it in those terms, it's just more games into the kids and um, it's just development opportunities at senior level. So hopefully that's enough and the last time I'll ever talk about that
0: game. Yeah, it feels a little bit... Uh, poignant, that uh, oh, just perfectly done. That um, for those that didn't hear, Daz, you talked before about talking about the game on the pod, and, and then in the match review, and how you were looking forward to never having to do it again, except for this last little session. And we got you to do the session twice, so uh, uh, there's a bit of bad luck. But I think <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all ready to move on. Uh, obviously, a lot of, well, obviously, a lot of those issues that Brad talked about will be um, will be discussed in selection dissection, and we will also, uh, time permitting, touch on your Box Hill piece and, and the stuff that you talked to Ed about, as well as the Will Day contract, um, which is something that's dominated a lot of time in our WhatsApp group uh, and all of the machinations around that. So putting Sydney behind us, we're going to move on to um, Brad's round three selection dissection. And and before we do that, we're just going to note, um, obviously, we've got a couple thousand followers here on Twitter in the space. We're lucky enough that both through free and, and paid subs, we've got thousands of people that are part of the Hawks Substack, stack. And, and we're generating a lot of different comments and feedback on there. So... Before the floor's yours, uh, Brad, I'm just going to run through a couple of comments we got on your piece from earlier today. Uh, Frank Basil has said um, there won't be enough changes. GF's a luxury. Exciting, but way too many skill errors. Can't defend. Needs to go to Box Hill. McGuinness not developing fast enough. If he's a midfielder, let him practice at Box Hill. not needs more time. Box need a uh, ruck forward that can have a presence and kick goals. Frost should be playing a leadership role at Box Hill. Nash is not the future. Box Hill beckons. Bramble's not the future. Box Hill beckons. Bring Stevens, Long, DGB, Wingard and Brockman in. Last week Hawthorne had 16 players on the field. Can't be competitive with two less on the field. If we're torching 23, let's do it right. Um... Lawrence Cavill said, wholesale changes indicate panic. Reeves for Big Maxi, last chance Saloon for Cosy. Like the idea of Sicily as a forward. We'll get your thoughts on that, Brad. Uh, and let's make DGB earn a spot. Um, Graham Riley wants to see Butler left in and have a go. And and um, and Brocky bought in together with Cooper Stevens. Um, there's not much support through all the comments for... Sam Frost, um, there is a lot of support for um, for Lockie Bramble who went at uh, 72% disposal efficiency and 22 touches against the Swan. Swans, 518 metres gained in what was a really good second half of footy. Um, so thanks to everyone who's getting involved on the stack. Um, that's enough from me. Brad, this is your space and your chance to tell us what, should happen when uh, 6.20 comes around tomorrow night and what is going to happen.
1: Thanks, Weesey. Look, the feedback actually finally, it's taken uh, well over a, a season after me copping a lot last season for my thoughts and comments. But I think people are slowly coming at yeah uh, around to what I've, Written, uh, all those comments we see that you just read, I actually haven't seen a lot of them. I got caught up at work today, so uh, most of those comments are actually quite reasonable and fair. Um, the tough situation we're currently in is we don't have a lot of senior experience on the ground. Sam Frost, uh, James Sicily, Carl Ayman, and Luke Bruce are currently are, are only four players that I think are over 27. Bruce's the only one that's over 30 think Frost might be 30 or he's turning 30 quite soon. Uh, unfortunately, you need a good mix of experience and youth when you're rebuilding. So Sam Mitchell's in a really tough spot at the moment. Uh, I like the way he backed his team after round one and put out the same team for round two. But after that performance, I believe there has to be at least two or three changes. I saw Chad Wingard is fit again. I wouldn't bring him in. I'd give him at least another week off instead of bringing him down to Tassie. Uh, my changes that I had were, I had Bramble out. I just, I'm, some might I disagree. I just don't see it uh, with him. I think as a defender, he's incredibly poor. He does get the ball, but I just, I, I just don't think he's, I don't think he's a quality uh, AFL player. I think Ned Reeves needs a string of games at Box Hill to get his confidence up. I think we can easily go around with Lloyd Meek as the Ruckman. Um, I think if Connor Nash is going to play, he can play that backup role. North Melbourne only play the one Ruck in Todd Goldstein. Um, I think he's time, I think he needs to get his confidence up. I know he's only 21. I think he just needs a string of games, three or four games at Box Hill to get his confidence back. Uh, unfortunately for us, which is just an absolute joke, Box Hill have a bye this week.
0: It's Uh, pretty
1: uh, tough, isn't it? Which is absolutely ridiculous, which is really, couldn't have been worse timing for us because there were some excellent performances for Box Hill last week against Sydney and a few guys who are really pushing for selection in uh, DGB, Cooper Stevens, Seamus Mitchell had his first 30 possession game, Tyler Brockman kicked three goals. So, you know, these guys who are fighting for a spot in the senior side are not going to get another opportunity because it's a buy. So... Oh, yeah, I had Bramble, Reeves, Kaczynski, and Butler, who was obviously the sub out. I think DGB needs to come in. He had um, 20 possessions and 11 marks for Box Hill. Brockman kicked three. I think Ned Long deserves another crack. We saw him play a couple of games in the back end of last year. He had a really strong game for Box Hill. Uh, his big body, he's an inside mid, um, can find the footy. Uh, so I think those guys should be coming in this week. I don't think they will. I don't know why. I just got this feeling Sam's going to back his team in for at least the first four to five weeks of the season. Jack Scrimshaw only played a half for Box Hill on the weekend. So again, we still haven't got to the bottom of what's going on with Jack Scrimshaw. He has had a few niggles. I think he had a calf and a quad. They obviously only played him a half on the weekend. So he's obviously not match fit yet. So I don't think he'll come in on the weekend. So I think what they will do, I reckon they'll only be the one change Chad Wingard will come in. I've got Bramble. Um, I do have Bramble going out, um, but in the team, what I think they should do, I reckon James Sicily should be moved forward. I think he's one of the only players in our team currently that's got the capability of kicking more than three goals in a game. And we're not beating North Melbourne if we don't have a forward that can't kick three, at least three or four, you know, three or more goals. Nick Larkey's going to kick at least four goals, so we're going to need to match that. Um, and I reckon moving Sicily forward could work, and that'll allow, um, hopefully, DGB to come into the So just
0: on that, Brad, Uh, and uh, we really do want to hear from as many of you as possible with what you're thinking. I want to ask Daz, and I'll let you continue after that, Brad, but um, when we spoke about this, Daz, in the player review pod, Ash was very strong on... Sis being one of the very few players that can actually defend in our team and the whole notion of robbing Peter to pay Paul, putting him up forward um, is not the answer. Daz, have you got got a take on it? And again, if anyone wants to have their say on any of these players' positions, um, Brad's already mentioned Cozzy, Wingard, DGB, Reeves, Bramble, Stevens, Brockman, who should be in, who shouldn't be in. Hit the, hit the request to speak button and we'll get you on. Daz, what are your thoughts on on the comments from Brad around Sis? Yeah, I've got a very strong opinion on this and it's net. I don't
2: think Sicily should ever go forward. And I think maybe superstition because that's how he did his knee. But I, I, I just, I don't think Hardwick should go forward. Like what is the actual point? Every time, every time he goes forward, the backline loses more structure. You've got these guys that are professional, like training in a particular position, and they're experts at that. We're not really in the phase where we need to try and engineer wins. I, I just don't don't see the point in that experimentation. If there's any experimentation to be to be done, it's Frost going forward because. He's a tot- like he, he's just started the season so badly in the back line, that it couldn't be worse if you send him forward at the moment. But uh, yeah, I'm not into Cis forward at all. I think he's just so valuable. He he needs to be back there organizing the defense, and that's his job. Um, and that's why it will, what makes him so valuable to us. Him sticking him up forward might solve it. You know, the ball's not even ball's not even coming into the forward line, so. Uh, Yeah, I just, we're going to be under the cosh and those young defenders need, uh, particularly Blank, for example, I think they just need that senior leadership back there.
0: Before we get on to Andrew and Whitey, Brad, your thoughts on Hardwick and Frost as forwards?
1: Uh, No, Hardwick definitely needs to stay down back. We saw Frost as a forward a bit last year. He can play a role, but he doesn't kick goals. Um, I. Daz has made a good point with Sis, but it's a really hard one because the team that we've got at the moment, unfortunately, they're not going to kick a winning score. We don't have a player uh, that Sis early on in his career spent a bit of time forward and looked, you know, showed that he can kick uh, goals. Uh, I do agree with um, Daz's comments, you know, it'd be great to have him down back there to, you know, uh, marshal uh, the troops. But the only way DGB probably plays is if Sis moves forward. So... And again, like, if you look at our forward line on paper, how are we going to kick a winning score? Hopefully, Dave and, uh, and, and Andrew can shed some light. But I just can't see us kicking more than, you know, we're going to need to kick probably 14 or 15 goals to beat North Melbourne. How do we get those goals?
0: Yeah, it's a very, very good question. And we came into the season where, especially once Lewis went down, the biggest question mark we had was on our forward line and where the scores were going to come from. Andrew, thanks for joining us. You were actually at the SCG on the weekend. What are what are your thoughts on this discussion? Um, yeah, I, well, yeah,
3: I was unfortunately at the game. Um, I was kind of late there and then wish I'd actually not not turned up. Um, I think I sort of <laughs> said in the chat that I, I've been pretty realistic that you know, it's all about um, Harley. Harley Reid this year but um, I was sort of hoping to get maybe five minutes of uh, a glimpse of five minutes of uh, some nice uh, free flowing brand of a free flowing brand of football but um that kind of didn't happen um, in terms of the uh, how we can structure up for um, up forward um, I think we just have to accept we're not going to kick there's not a solution which is going to provide us with enough goals but I think we can put up Um, if we can put someone up forward who at least structurally is going to give us something, um, that will give the small, small and medium forwards some kind of chance. So whether that's, um, uh, Frosty who, um, at back is just, he's not behaving like a senior player. He, he looked like a, a petulant rookie, um, at the ground. Um, or or whether or not it's uh getting getting lynch forward and him playing as a uh as a key forward when he's resting um but yeah I like I agree with um with uh, Brad's thoughts as far as um, Bramble um is are concerned but um yeah I th- I think if we're going to have someone in the back line making stupid mistakes I'd rather have I'd rather it be D- DGB than um the than Frost so I mean, I agree we need kind of senior senior heads, but um, if Frost is to um, stay on the ground, I think he's going to be... Uh, he's going to create um, perhaps... Uh, it be a bit more positive up forward than up back because
0: he's not really adding much value at the moment, so... Yeah, helpful. thanks. Thanks a lot, Andrew. Look, I think... Um, I think as much as we're talking about the forward line and the issues with kicking goals, I think there's a bit of yin and yang about it where over the last few years, even when we've looked terrible, our defence has been the mainstay. Like, our defence has been fantastic and um, the, the improvement from the Essendon to the Sydney game was that we won contested footy and we won the ball in the middle and our midfielders did their end of the bargain. But we still conceded 17 goals. 17 goals, 16. So 33 scoring shots where the week before it was 19-10 and 29 scoring shots against the Bombers. So um, it was less about, oh, but the ball just kept coming in and and we were getting, you know, our midfield was getting smashed and the ball kept coming in. Our defence has been completely dysfunctional this year. And again, as I said, over the last few years, that has been somewhat of a mainstay. Uh, thanks for that. Whitey, welcome. How are you feeling about everything?
4: Yeah, I'm all right. I've um, got a different opinion on it and how it should be set up. A couple of things from Sunday's game is we're all saying the back line, they did struggle. I've got no problems with that. Where we struggled was up forward. When they scored their 100th point, Gerard Ely put a wrecked thing up. They'd scored 10-8 from the back line. Sydney, so they'd scored 70% of their goals from the back line. We had eight, seven set shots of golden kick, six points, and seven out of, and one out, two out of bands of full, sorry, eight shots, and two out of bands of full. So they've had 18 shots from coming out. When we did the centre clearances on Sydney, you kick goals, you go back to the centre, you win, you take your pressure off your back line. Our problem is, is we're not kicking goals when we got them. Even last week, I think someone put up a stat and i looked at it the other day the two teams we played had 35 65 shots of gold in the last 65 shots of gold and they kicked 30 um what was it they half of them were goals so 17 35 that's right they kicked 30, half their shots of gold or their shots of gold were goals so it's 65 shots of gold 36 goals for uh, for. Sydney and Essendon we've had 20 42 shots and we've only kicked 13 goals so it's our goal kicking which is putting pressure on our back line so the point of fact about it is and I look at this as a junior coach not a senior coach the one thing I like about Frost in the foot, he marks the ball he's the one thing we've got no problems with Frost in the back line he's always good at marking the ball it's the kicking and the running and then kicking in the space where no one's there and it goes the opposition. We need a marking forward, not a lead up forward. We need someone that can get above a pack and attack the ball. You win the centre clearances, you go forward, we've got no one that marks above the head. So,
0: so you're an advocate for sending Frost forward and would that mean bringing DGB in in his place in the back line?
4: Absolutely. DGB. But you need someone, we've got to find someone to mark the ball. When, when we're marking it, we're not kicking goals. As I said, 13 out of 20, 42 shots of gold, that's 25%. It mightn't have changed the game. But all of a sudden, a score of 81, and a, a bit like um, Brad said, a score of 81 becomes 53 or something like that, and a score of 60 becomes 42. They're not, they're not as bad of floggies. But in both games, we're in the game at halftime. We've kicked 2-7. In the other game against Essendon at, at quarter time, we'd kick 4 5 2 1. If we kick straight, the whole game changes. Momentum changes on goals, and we've done absolutely bugger all of that in two games.
0: Yeah, it's a fair point. And when you're scoring that many behinds, obviously you're giving the possession straight up to the opposition on a small ground like the SCG. When, what did we say? We scored 4-13. So that's 13 opportunities for Sydney to retain possession and on the smaller ground, you know, the, I mean, they just cut us up. That pressure wasn't there exactly as you mentioned. So um, all very, very valid points. I'm 100% personally on the play frost forward and see if it works or doesn't work. Um. But it will be interesting. I think the other thing, and, and Brad, you might have a comment on this before we get to Stalking Hawk. Um, I mentioned before that changing feeling from round one to two, around um, round one being such a winnable game that we lost, to round two being more of a, okay, this is actually us. This is where we're at. This is what we're going to expect for a lot of the year or a lot of times during the year. I was speaking to a mate I used to play cricket with around when you get selected in a team in round one or round two, you want to know that you've got three or four or five weeks to be able to prove yourself, and you've been picked for a reason at that time, which lends itself to not making wholesale changes. I guess, Brad, coming back to you, what do you think about that, and do, do you expect to see... When do you expect to see wholesale wholesale changes, or is it more going to be strategic rotation throughout the season?
1: Yeah, it's a good it's a good question, Lacey. I think it's going to be strategic. I agree with what you're saying, and that's why I reckon there won't be too many changes. I reckon Sam would have said to you know the the best team he picked for round one, you guys you know have at least the first month of the season to show us what you've got. Uh, you know, to the younger guys, you are going to be spending a bit of time at Box Hill to learn uh, your craft, to get more uh, of an opportunity. Cam uh, McKenzie is a perfect uh, example. We saw him round one predominantly play in the centre. I didn't like what Sam did in round two because they bought uh, Connor Nash in, so he replaced Mackenzie, and McKenzie spent most of the game as a half forward, so he didn't get much of the ball. He didn't get much of an opportunity. <laughs> I get he's young and he's raw still. His body, you know, obviously might not be able to hold up for the rigours of the game, playing fully as a midfielder. But it was only the second week and we saw how good he was round one, especially against the Sydney Swans on that smaller ground of the SCG. It would have been a perfect opportunity for him to play another four game in the midfield. So I think that's going to happen quite a lot uh, this season. It'll be weeks similar to last year with what Sam did with Ward and uh, McDonald. They did spend a lot of time at Box Hill. I think we'll see um, a McKenzie swap for like a Henry uh, Hussway type. Um, Ned Long will obviously get another crack. You know, Bailey McDonald will play a few games in the back half of the year, as will uh, uh, Ramsden. But to your question, Wacy, you no, I think the first month of the season, will I don't think we'll see a lot of changes.
0: Yeah, that, the McKenzie comments you've just made are really interesting as well because I think... Um Sammy used him, didn't he, on footy classifieds as a, well, if you wanted us to play Jager or Tom Mitchell, actually, this is the exact example of someone who wouldn't have been playing straight up and getting those couple games of experience. So that balance is going to be very interesting. Stalking Hawk, thanks so much for waiting. How are you? Stocking Hawk. Yeah, g'day guys. Um, Yeah,
5: thanks for having me on. Um, It's been a really interesting couple of weeks and uh, it's been interesting to change our perspectives on where we think the Hawks are going to go this year. But kind of the main takeaway that I'm getting is it's all about development, right? It's not about this year, it's about next year. So what's the best way to prepare the players and the team for next year? Um, So I think if we apply that lens to absolutely everything that Sandwich was doing, I think it kind of makes a bit more sense, right? It's just about getting reps into the into the kids. Um, reps on the ball, it doesn't matter if our defence is under siege a hundred times a game because that's more reps of the opposition putting the ball into a contest that you have to defend. Um, the forward line next year conceivably has, you know, Will McCabe or Harley Reid or... Who else in it. Um, you know, that doesn't seem to be something he's prioritised prioritizing at the moment. Maybe because the personnel that's gonna play that are gonna play there aren't there yet to develop. Um, so he's investing in defence and midfield and and just working on getting reps. Um yeah, well that's my take on it. What's your thoughts?
0: Yeah, really, really good points we'll hear from Daz and Brad on this as well, because I think it's um it's really, it's really valid. I mean, two weeks ago we knew that this is what we were coming into, and Daz mentioned the chat with Ed Sill about being, you know, twenty-five odd games into what is an eighty to a hundred-game plan. We spoke to Rob McCartney pre-season, and and you know the discussion was uh, Geelong were outliers last year, being very old, but you need to have an average of Ninety to a hundred games per season across your Premiership-winning side. So, I think that the difficulty will be, um, okay. You talk about draft picks over the next few years; they're coming in on zero games experience, so they're still going to have to uh, they're going to have to get games up. Again, the notion of okay, if DGB is going to be one of the answers in terms of the future of The back line, that balance between wanting to beat North Melbourne this week, um, you know, and everyone's got an opinion. People are saying um, DGB should play another couple of good games in the resis. People are saying there's not a spot for him or you have to put this or Frost forward. Others are saying he's got to get in the team. Um, After the last two weeks, a lot of people are saying, well, he needs, there's no reason why he shouldn't be getting 20 games in now as part of that plan and and the same goes, the the difficulty is going to be, and and Brad, you might have some thoughts on this from a rotation policy point of view as well, will be, you know, Long, Stevens, we've talked about Brockman, um, even Lynch if he's staying on the list long term, um, how you actually get enough games into them throughout the season to make sure that you're not just developing who you think are going to be your starting eighteen, but your group of 30 players and um, Stalking hawk, I think you said it's about next year. Actually, the reality that it's not really about 2024, it's probably about 2026 to 2028, isn't it?
5: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's, it's a long-term game, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then part of that is if, it's, if it is going to be a long term game, right, then what, you yeah, and it's going to be a long season, what, what better way to start the season than with a couple of shellackings where the expectations get set real low and anything that happens from here that's a positive is seen as a massive improvement?
0: I'm like, just so the thought. difficulty with that is. The expectations then for us are real low, right? And we talk about, um, we talk about, okay, we know it's in it for, we're in it for in a few years time, and we've all had the success, and it's okay, and trust the process, and we all trust Sammy and what he's setting up, and that whole side of things. But what shellacings do is put us on the back page of the newspaper every single day, and we're an easy target when it then comes to talk shows and then with a whole host of the other stuff, the racism review, we're on the front page as well. So um, that then just creates a groundswell of um, uncertainty around, well, is this the right process or isn't it? And it's very easy Very easy these days, I think, to sort of um, split supporter groups and fan bases and uh, opinions on what the right thing to do is or what the wrong thing to do is. Uh, It just makes it, I guess, harder or easier, right? Daz, thoughts?
2: Yeah, uh, look, I think it's going to take an extremely mentally tough team to work through a year of complete and utter shellacking's like we had against Sydney, like, uh, and then, and then you've got to look at some of the senior players thinking I'm not winning a flag here. I'm not probably going to play in finals here. And 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 no wonder, I guess, Sam Frost's body language is, it looks so poor because, you know, he's, it, it's one thing to tell young kids that to, to trust the process and we're going to get there and, you know, you're playing it. Flag winning team in five years, but what do you tell Chad Wingard? What do you tell Sam Frost? What do you even tell sis who's kind of you know looking at looking at thirty and going, you know, I know know he's in it for the long haul, but we have to see some kind of progress towards the end of the season. And progress can mean a lot of things for a lot of people. For me, I just yearn for the days of honourable losses again, like. (laughs) last year was last year was last year was great I mean there were games where we were terrible and there were but there were a lot of games where we showed a lot of fight and surprised people and I just I just kind of want to go back to those days I want to see an improved performance against North you know even if we don't beat North I, I want to see us at least improve on what happened against Sydney and I want to see us maybe steal a win. In the back half of the year, we, we had a chat to Peter Burge and he said to expect players, especially some of the young players, to really have a good, um, strong half of, uh, back half of the year. But, yeah, I, I don't know what it does culturally to lose like that every single week, even if there is a, a long-term goal and a part of being part of a journey. I just – it's going to take a lot of blocking out of noise, mental fortitude and toughness to battle through a season where you're getting – Flogged every week, so it's
0: it's 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 scary. And the bigger question marks, I think, are not on the Bruce who's still going to be around, or the Chad that if, if he's injured for the rest of the year, you know, or is of that mindset, we'll let him go. Are more of the does it make DGB want to go home quicker? Does it make Will Day? Does it solidify any thoughts he might be having to go home? And I mean, we're at round two, so it's way too early to actually dissect those thoughts other than to say, in, in a similar way that we were able to get Carl on, in a similar way that we were close to Bose and the draft pick coming from, from the Suns, that we've just got to trust the process that Sam's put together. And that by the end of the year, the progress within the group will be enough that it's it's set up for those guys to want to be able to continue as part of the journey. Mr. Jace, thanks for holding on. How are you, Mr. Jace?
6: Uh, Okay, my mic was off. It's now on. Can you hear me? Got you
0: loud and clear.
6: Yeah, good. Look, I'm, I'm in Sydney and I get to go to a game at the SCG every couple of years and obviously I was there on Sunday. So I went early, I met the president, I met the CEO, we, uh, uh, Dave Hale talked to us about what he was doing with the centre group and then I went and watched the whole Box Hill game and obviously uh, the seniors game. So I watched the Box Hill game from the boundary line, hanging over the fence like in the good old days. And the first observation I'd make about that, and Brad's point's really good about not having a game this week, is it's very evident to me, having watched all the Box Hill games on TV last year, is that we've got much more depth this year than we've got last year. It was very evident that the AFL-listed players, almost to a man, played very well. And with regard to Scrimmer, so Scrimmer uh, came onto the ground at half-time and was being tested about, six metres in front of me, and he's got a bandage around his right leg, and every time he put weight on that right leg, he touched his right knee. So I think there's actually a problem with his knee. I don't know, but that's what it looked like from six metres away. And then I went over to the ground, and, of course, we had, I think the first five minutes was okay, and the rest of it was pretty pretty average. But my observation about this is that... When I watch them against Essendon, when I watch the practice match against Geelong, obviously on TV, and and watch them live on Sunday, the main issue is um, very early fumbles. So what happens is something has happened with their form. They fumble the the ball that invites great pressure, and as it invites great pressure, you get more and more fumbles, and effectively they can't move the ball. So the first observation I'd make is that there's a bit of a problem with form and confidence. Um, and in my view in sport, that's a matter that can go on forever or it can turn overnight. And I would invite you all to think about batsmen playing for Australia. And one day they're playing terribly, and the next day they're playing really well. The second major issue I feel going on with Hawthorne, and McAvoy's loss is central to this, is they can't get out of defence because no one seems to be able to take a contested mark along the boundary line. So they look down the boundary line, they see a ruckman, they kick it to a ruckman, and then the ball comes back in. And effectively, the mids are getting sucked into the D50 and the forwards are getting sucked into the mids, which leaves the opposition's defensive 50 basically unmarked, and that's why the ball bounces out um, so quickly. Um, And my sense of this is that um, in not a short time, it'll turn around. I don't think we're going to lose, and I could be wrong, obviously. I don't think we're going to lose every game by the amount we've lost the last two. two. So I don't think what's happened in the past is necessarily a portent of the future. I'm not suggesting we're going to win every game, but once they start to get a bit of form, and they seem to have lost it as a group, and the confidence that's, that's with it. Maybe we'll get to the honourable losses that were being referred to before, and maybe we'll win a few. I don't think it's anywhere near as bad as it seems to be after the first two games. And then I, when you watch the last quarter, last quarters, last quarter, maybe the Swans had you checked out by then because they are so far in front and they thinking about beers. But in the last quarter, they started to get it together a bit. And what I noticed is that Cozzy started to do a bit of a uh, bit of improvement. So I don't share the pessimism, pessimism that seems to be profound in this group. I just don't, because having watched the games on TV and then watched it live, and I know I only saw one game live, I get that, um, I don't think it's as bad as it seems, though they are bad losses. And I believe when it turns around, it'll turn around very quickly and we'll be very surprised.
0: Mr Jace, thanks. I think that's a really, really good level-headed summation I mean, I can tell you from the conversations we've had in um, our personal WhatsApp groups um, together with a lot of the commentary you see, I don't think that the disappointment extends to being too worried about being in a world of doom and gloom. I think it is just that when you're watching a game of footy, you want to win. And especially, I mean, you mentioned something there early in the game some of the skills and fumbles and some of the possession by foot was absolutely deplorable and that'll come good like we have recruited we have recruited kids that are very or are being touted as being very highly skilled footballers so that will come that will be easily fixable it's not that they're not skillful to begin with it's just that in the moment when you're watching it, especially since, you know, easy marks being dropped. And and I understand what you're saying about Coszy as well. He's probably the pinup for easy marks. I, th- I think, was it like with about three or four seconds to go in the last quarter, like he dropped an absolute sitter that he would have been having another shot at goal. And um, I think it's just that frustration in the moment when all you're trying to do is think about winning a game of footy or at least being competitive in a game of footy. And when you don't get that, it's escalated or magnifies. But um, I think what the first two weeks has been able to do is just shift back some of the expectation on... um, I put in the preview article that we wrote that I expected us to win seven to eight games because I actually thought with the draw that we had with what we saw last year, that would be a realistic expectation. And it's okay to say, well, that's not the case, but I'm very much about week to week. What are we seeing that we like? What are the things that we're improving on? Because again, it's about two, three years time with 40 to 60 games into this group, Um, not necessarily what happens this weekend in that game. H- having said that...
6: So if, if, I could, if I could say just one more thing. The other thing that is very evident to me is there are three or four uh, players. So Newcomb, CJ, Bramble, and to some extent uh, Will Day, and maybe even Sisley, are trying to... So they're looking for third and fourth options, not the first option. So if you watch uh, Newcomb, he's a terrific player, but he's trying to do too much. And what happens is he just sucks all these uh, defenders onto him and then the ball gets choked. And in effect, they were the Swans are a good side. So I'm not suggesting any of that. But um, they were much more effective once that you know, you're at the breakdown. So it's a bit like rugby. You go to the breakdown, the ball comes out of the breakdown and provided you've got players in the right position, you can move it left or right. So Bramble's trying. Bramble kicked the ball along the ground with a, to a Hawthorne leading forward along the ground, like along the ground, didn't even get in the air. Um, CJ's trying to do far too much, so I think if i be cruel, because I think CJ's great, he's starting to believe his own bullshit a bit, you know. What he needs to do is to do what he gets paid to do, take intercept marks. I believe he dropped 10 marks in front of me in the course of the afternoon. And he's trying to do too much, so he invites pressure, he gets it wrong. He tracks pressure to other players. He does a panic handball, and we know, uh, and, the, and there she wrote. Um, and I think that uh, a couple of others are guilty of that as well. So once they start to have the confidence to take the first option, which I know is risk, then I think things will be much cleaner and much better.
0: For sure. Brad, have you got any thoughts on, because oh, we talked about in the player review pod, um, CJ, I personally expressed similar views, Mister Jace, to you. And thanks again. Um, around actually CJ's performance over a long period of time, um, I I personally thought Bramble's second half, like against Essendon, was decent enough after the first two halves were terrible. We know that um, that Screamer has. Well, Whatever it is going on, whether it's injury or something else that's going on, what's the answer to fixing things up around our back half back line
1: I think they've just got to try different things. I agree with you and I agree with uh, Mr. Jace about CJ and I mentioned it before. The one to two good things he does each game seem to cover a lot of the majority of the poor things he uh, does. I think his first two games this year have been incredibly poor. He kicked that really good goal against the Bombers. But defensively, I've said this before, he's terrible. And as Mr. J said, drops a heap of marks, consistently puts teammates under pressure. I think he needs to play more up uh, the ground. I think there is a spot for him, but I'd put him up on a wing. Um, I just think defensively at the moment, definitely the first two games, and he did it a lot last year, he had a really poor year last year. I know he had some some injuries, but as a defender at the moment, he's he, I think he's making uh, too many mistakes. Bramble as well, uh, Mr. Jace did uh, mention that uh, before. The amount of times he gets the ball and he misses targets or he kicks it along the ground or to the bootlaces uh, of a teammate um, happens far too much. And when you've got players like him and CJ. Getting the ball off the half back line, and with how often we turn it over, you can't have players that can't kick coming out of half back. And that's why we were so successful with the three P team. We had all those guys in the back half Birchall, uh, Gibson, Lake, these guys that could kick the ball. You compare that now, we've got Sam Frost, CJ, Bramble, and that's where we're really missing our Scrimshaw and why he's such an important player. Just as someone that can, you know hit a target 30 to 40 metres, doesn't panic. With the way Sam seems to want to play, you know, really fast, coming out of half back, taking it on, trying to hit targets in the middle of the ground, it doesn't work when you don't have players that can kick. And the majority of our back line, unfortunately, at the moment, can't kick.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Bramble did go at 73% and... I mean, there are probably instances for almost each player that you could think of or refer back to. And uh, I think something that you said, Brad, absolutely, there's a notion to, well, this is the time to experiment, right? And there's no – there doesn't need to be a right answer right now for who the the person is. We've seen Will Day play a few years on the back flank and move into the middle and have two outstanding games uh, in the middle. So um, positions are going to change over the next few seasons. But obviously, it is just about experience into everyone, you know. And Finn's probably. Another topic for another day, but clearly that's what Sammy's trying to do with Finn. Um, Patrick, you've got a question before we uh, move to wrap wrap up tonight's space?
5: Uh, A, on the uh, bad calls,
0: this is the joking
5: one, on the bad calls from media people this week, I think we have to add uh, Ash Brown saying we won't get talked about a lot in the media because we'll be off Broadway uh, to that.
0: Yeah, I think, was it, that we're, that we're irrelevant?
5: Yes. But the second thing is it would be interesting to see where everyone on this feels about the debate that seems to be going around Hawks fans, whether you want to try and get Harley Reid or you want to avoid get it winning the wooden spoon this year or, quote, unquote, winning the wooden spoon. Well,
0: I'll tell you what we'll do, Patrick, because we are approaching 9.30 and, and we've got that down as a potential... Topic to p- talk about. We'll put it front and center on next week's agenda. Um, it's a really good question. Not just the notion of whether or not we want that number one pick and Harley Reed and Ash. I- I'm on board with Ash, who always says wooden spoons are not in our DNA and not interested. But also, it was obviously thrown up throughout the week um, that there are clubs who are already looking at packaging two to three first-round draft picks um, for Harley Reid and pick one. Obviously, there's a lot to play out over the next six months, um, and you look at what North have done with turning uh, Horn Francis into Sheasel and Wardlaw, and um, the mind starts racing, but, we're at round two, so we don't necessarily need to worry about that now. We'll put that front and centre for next week. Just before we wrap up as well, we, we won't necessarily invite for everyone else to comment, but um, just one to be thinking about throughout the week for this media session section for next week because we have run out of time. Um, just the notion that Lee Montagna came out Uh, and said, it's not a three, five, or six-year rebuild. It's closer to 10. I'm more convinced now that Sam Mitchell won't be there the next time that they play finals. So that is what I'm putting down as our media bad take of the week. The good one, uh, James Bartell, who um, has a really good video of him with Eddie Maguire, who certainly did all he could to keep kicking us in between every single one of Bartel's comments. But the gist of what he had to say, um, I think Hawthorne have got their eyes wide open with what they're wanting to achieve. I'd be worried more about the performance and not the plan. I think Hawthorne has far too many credits in the bank over the last 40 years with the amount of premierships that they've won uh, and that we win them in clusters what would one or two extra players do? It's nothing to do with experienced players missing. It's been about the effort and the lack thereof. Now, pretty sure we could find uh, at least half a dozen good takes, at least 10 dozen bad takes uh, on the Hawks from the week. So keep that in mind when you... uh, Reading, tweeting, uh, looking through all your Hawthorne stuff throughout the week, and we will reintroduce this next week. We had heaps to talk about, but we've got to 9.30. Daz, anything else before we wrap it up from you?
2: Yeah, I just want to say on the Montagna comments, it just shows how fickle the media are and how much each personality kind of just tries to get a headline because... Lee Montagna last year was one of the most positive people on Hawthorne. So again and again, Lee Montagna was talking about how he believes in Sam Mitchell and he you know, he, he doesn't think we're as bad as people say we are and we're going to be a great side. And I could probably dig up a lot of that footage from last year. So yeah, it's just they just kind of blow with the wind, these media pundits. And I wouldn't re- really be taking much stock in anything any of them says. Um, Even Jimmy Bartell will probably turn on us in a few weeks. Um, Just just putting themselves, I guess, ahead of the actual, um, the real story. Uh, Maybe
0: he's just uh, swapped bodies with good friend of the show, Kane Corns, over the last little (laughs) period. Kane's become one of our more positive media members. Well, that's. I mean, it's
2: it's just so obvious, isn't it? It's like when everyone else is panning Hawthorne, just do the opposite, and you'll you'll get it. You'll get a headline. So it's just just funny watching this all play out, to be honest. And I guess this is a, a reason why Hawks is, insiders exists, and why um, you know we, we value your support, and why why people you know are listening to listening, tuning in, and and, and making such great comments on the on the spaces. For sure.
0: And uh, I mean, I I actually like the Kane Corns turnaround from the point of view that he's been sitting, listening directly to Sam Mitchell speak every week. And it's not so much the stuff that I reckon he's saying on air because the footy classifieds interview was very straight bad. It was very, I mean, he was really, really good, but they didn't really get into any hard questions before they go on air and after they go on air. obviously Sammy and Kane are chatting right. So Kane over time has changed what he thinks about what we're doing based on a per- personal relationship with Sam Mitchell. So I think that's significant. Brad, thank you so much for your time tonight. Again what what are you hoping just quickly your 30 second what we're hoping to see tomorrow night and against the ruse on the weekend?
1: Uh, The team, I've got no idea. Hopefully, a few changes are made. But as I said, I don't think there will be too many. I just think we need a win. A win will just boost the confidence of this team. And like uh, Mr. Jazz said before, maybe uh, with a win and a bit of confidence, you know, we play GWS and the Crows um, after the Cats. So we've got even one before the Cats. So we've got winnable games coming up. And this is a game that both Sam and Clark would have penciled the moment the fixture came out. So... Both coaches are going to do whatever they can to get the win this week. Um, Even if we don't get the win, at least come out and just, you know, show that they want to win the game, show that they care. Nothing like we've seen the last couple of weeks because we can beat North Melbourne. We beat them last year easily. I know we had a bit of a different team, but our team on paper is good enough to beat North Melbourne this week. So hopefully we see a win.
0: Indeed. If we do see that win, um, much to all of your surprise, because we haven't really talked about it, I'm sanctioning a four-hour player review pod into a four-hour spaces at some point next week. So uh, that'll be a lot of fun if we get it up. Um, Thanks again, everyone who has joined and been listening tonight or listening to the pod on the Substack. Um, We appreciate everyone's support. Uh, If you're not already, um, please subscribe to the Substack. There are free subscriptions. There's $5 a month subscriptions and $50 a year. We will keep giving you the best independent coverage of the Hawks through pod, written form, and across socials. Thanks again, everyone. Enjoy your evening, and we will speak to you next week. This was another Hawks Insiders production. Make sure to subscribe to our Substack for wall-to-wall Hawthorne Footy Club coverage.